You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to episode 38 of the Crisis in the Church series. Today, we'll be asking Don Tranquillo three questions surrounding the events in Rome from 2013. First, can a pope abdicate? Second, if he can, did Pope Benedict abdicate properly? What is required for this to happen? Did Pope Benedict leave us a hidden meaning or a coded message meant for the faithful to find during this process? And third, if this was all done properly, what do we make of the 2013 conclave that elected Pope Francis? There seems to have been some irregularities, to put it mildly, admitted to by at least one of the cardinals. So, is Pope Francis the Pope? One quick note on this interview, Father's microphone did occasionally cut out at times, making him a bit difficult to understand. Uh, We edited it for clarity, but it may be easier to watch this video on YouTube instead of just listening on the podcast. Well, with all that said, let's join Don Tranquilo right now on the SSPX podcast. Welcome back to our next episode on the Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast and uh, welcoming back Father Tranquilo, Don Tranquilo. Hello, Father. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. Um, Nice to meet you again. Yes. Absolutely. It's always a, always a pleasure to have you, Father. And uh, in our past uh, discussions with you, we've talked about collegiality, but then we talked about sedevacantism. And now yes. we're going to talk about uh, something kind of closely related to sedevacantism, sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is the question of whether or not Pope Benedict is still the Pope. Um, yes. It's kind of known colloquially as benevacantism, but uh, okay. that's... That's not the official church term by any means. Um, but wanted to start first with the abdication itself. Um, first, uh, Father, is it possible for a, a pope to abdicate uh, being the vicar of Christ? Is it possible for this to happen? I guess we have to start with the basics there before we discuss any further. Yes, sure. This was questioned at the beginning of, uh, af- just after the abdication, somebody started to question that. But this is out, I would say, of ignorance, because uh, uh, you must know that the possibility for the Pope to abdicate is itself a dogma of the Church. So the Church has defined, as revealed by God, that the Pope is able to abdicate, to give up his charge. This was defined by uh, Pope Celestine V, just before his abdication. Because obviously at that time, too, people uh, wondered if if this was possible. So he started with this uh, dogma, and then he abdicated. He abdicated. And this this bull, this papal bull, was quoted by Pope Boniface in another one just after his election, Boniface VIII, professor of Celestine V. He said in this bull that he wanted to cut out, to amputate any kind of doubt about this question by his authority, apostolic authority. And he says, as my predecessor said in another bull that we don't have actually, um, there was, he, he explained that there was this question before and he said there must be no doubt this is possible and I, this is kind of dogma of the church. By my authority, uh, apostolic authority, I want to cut out any doubt. And uh, so it's actually a definition. So there is no reason to to doubt that this is possible. Then obviously this is in the laws of the church. So what whatever is in the canon law, the universal laws of the church, is kind of infallible itself. 
that means that cannot uh, contradict the dogma of the church. Of the church. So there, there couldn't be a law allowing abdication if this was against divine right. Now we, okay. we always had this law, even in the before the code of and in the code of uh, 1917 and in the new one. Of and then there is another simple reason the church has canonized Saint Celestine V and other popes who abdicated. Sure, that's very possible. And, and it is we, we true have... that, and it is true, Father. That excuse me, that that if once a pope is elected, he can refuse to take absolutely the, to to take the, the the papacy, and so it would just logically follow then that if he is able to refuse it, he is able to abdicate it. Exactly. There you have the canonical reason. The, sorry, the theological reason, because this is dogma, so you have to believe it. So you have to, the reason is that, that's one, because we, you have to accept in order to be Pope, to make a voluntary act. When you withdraw petition, you are no longer the Pope. You are Pope, okay. not when you are elected, but when you accept election. In that very moment, the jurisdiction, supreme jurisdiction uh, flows unto you by our law. And um, yes, that's, that's the reason, that's the very reason. Uh, it, apparently, the only one, according to the doctors, that couldn't uh, abdicate was St. Peter, because he ah. was bestowed the papacy by our Lord himself. He has not to accept. It was just like that, so he couldn't give sure. up. He was sure. the only one, apparently. Now, for to have a good, a, a real abdication, obviously, it, it's enough to have a, to have a voluntary act. Uh, a free act, obviously, and um, voluntary. So you have not obviously to, obviously to be forced by violence. If you take the hand of the Pope, make him write the abdication. But that doesn't mean that uh, there is uh, must be absolutely free like uh, in Mario. Uh, now, sometimes the church or the law uh, make this kind of act invalid without consequences, obviously not moral consequences. So, for example, in the case of marriage, to avoid problems, if you are forced in that sense, even if you accept to be forced in some way, you could die, but I don't want to marry anyway. I, I say no. Uh, but I die, but I say no. Uh, the, the church, to avoid this kind of situation, uh, declares void and null the marriage made in that way, for example any other cases also in um, uh, civil law. This is because the law wants that, obviously, for good reasons. Uh, but the case of the Pope is not like that. Even if he was forced by imagination, uh, by some people, by situations, by... In the moment he says, okay, I accept to abdicate, I want to abdicate because there are situations or threats, whatever, I choose to abdicate. He chooses to abdicate. He does it. And there is not, no law, no positive law, uh, making this decision void because he's the Pope. He is not subject to any kind of positive law. It would be useless to have a law about that because he's the Pope. He has no laws, positive laws, only divine laws, uh, natural laws. This is not my opinion. <laughs> this, this, opi this is the opinion of uh, the main canon uh, scholars, they all say that in case of force, uh, there is any way the application is uh, 
valid. Uh, we do not know, at least, at least, we do not have elements to say that the abdication of Pope Benedict was uh, forced. There are some uh, rumors, but rumors are not proofs uh, at all. There were difficult situations, that's sure. Uh, many difficult situations, even economical. Uh, it is true that the, the Vatican couldn't use the bank. Uh, that, that's true. That, that happened. I, I saw that in Rome uh, at the yes. moment, around the moment of the application. Uh, but we do not know, and there are no reason to believe that this was uh, the, the reason for his decision. So it's just rumors. You cannot uh, build something on that. And in, even in that case, it, it, it's not invalid. Yes. Okay, so even in that case, so even if one were to believe the rumors, or let's say mm -hmm. those rumors turned out to be true, that he was possibly blackmailed be, yeah. or something, not this an wouldn't issue. be invalid. This wouldn't be invalid according okay. to because you know this situation of abdication is quite exceptional. The action will be anyway voluntary, and by natural law. A voluntary act is valid unless okay. the positive law uh, comes in to uh, invalidate it. But this is not our case. So, coacta okay. voluntas, voluntas est. A will which is forced is still a will. That's what uh, yes. the principle says. Okay. So, anyway, right. this is just to, to, to remove uh, something, but anyway, we don't know and I don't think personally that there was such a, such a pressure on him to force him to abdicate. Sure. So we, we have seen that it is possible, both in a theoretical sense and also in this case, it is, it is possible and it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. logically sound for it to happen. Um, is there a specific ceremony or formula or something right. that the Pope has to do in order to abdicate and then the follow-up question would be, did Pope Benedict do this properly? Mm -hmm. That's a good question, very important, because uh, there is no way, not a, not a specific way to do it. What the canon law say, and this is just an expression of uh, the natural law, like the Pope has to manifestate, to, to show these intentions. He has to show it, to, to publicly say it in any way he likes. Because he is the Pope, he cannot be submitted to some kind of specific ceremony or procedure. It just has okay. to make it clear to everybody. Because when your will is just within you, it has no consequences, not legal consequences, moral maybe, but not legal. So he has to show it, to make it public in any way he likes. That's very important, uh, because this was questioned by some people, uh, some lawyers in Italy, uh, and this was rather, um, yes, refined as an objection. They said uh, that because he doesn't have a specific way to do it, every action showing that he, he didn't want to abdicate is important. So you do, it's not enough what is said during the history, but you have to see everything he did, which I could agree because this goes in our sense actually, and we will see. But they try to like that to avoid some. Uh, so it's clear that 
Pope Benedict chose the chose the um, classical way of abdicating. Classical, you cannot say classical because there are few so such so few cases right. that you cannot say that there is a, a kind of uh, common way to do it. But what right. Celestine the Fifth did, for example, was to have a speech in front of the cardinals in consistory. Uh, so that's what he did. Mm. The cardinals were there for canonization. So before canonizations, there, there is always a consistory, uh, one of the few consistories still existing. So he went there, and at, at the end of the consistory, uh, he said, is, he, he pronounced his renunciation, Latin. Now, first thing, somebody said that there are in, um, mistakes in the the formula and the things he said in Latin, which is true in the sense that he pronounced uh, not rightly some words. Uh, and uh, in the first uh, written text of his uh, pronunciation, declaration, uh, in the Osservatore Romano, there were the same mistakes. But there mm. were two little, two, two mistakes, two grammar mistakes, real, really. Uh, and then, well, some was not very elegant as uh, Latin uh, text. Uh, but, you know, when the sense of the words is clear, principle yes. of the law say that it's okay. It's enough that you understand the, the sense of what it's said. Not everything is correctly pronounced or written. Then the text published uh, in the Acta Apostolice Sedis, the official, the official text, is correct. Right. And all the um, translations that came out immediately were correct. And everybody understood what he was saying. Right. Uh, so the problem of the, the mistakes, uh, the Latin uh, mistakes in the text are not very, is not very important. But right. people say, these people say, okay, uh, it's not clear. What he says is not clear. So he has to clarify. He did, he clarified like, if we say, okay, this is not enough, every every action can be taken in account to understand what he did, and then if we say this was not clear, this speech was not clear, which is not, but let's say that, uh, let's concede, uh, then we will see that he said a very clear thing. Uh, but it's enough, actually, what he said in consistory is more than enough. You know, there is an objection about this text, which seemed to be very clever, seemed to be. Uh, and this was repeated many times. And this, in, in the, you know, in Italian press, you still have now, in these very days, articles appearing about that. But they say that he, he gave up not ju- not the, um, the papacy in itself, but his exer- the, his, um, the exercise of the power. So he okay. said, "I am still the Pope, but I do not do it anymore." So uh, I'm still the Pope. And they say he used two different words to justify that. And so it's true that he said, uh, I read and then I tell you, uh, mm-hmm. I am aware, he said, his speech before the consistory, I am well aware that this Munus ministry, Munus, is the charge itself, according to them. Uh, 
this monos uh, must be carried out, uh, and so on. And then he said, uh, I have had to recognize my incapacity to adequately fulfill the ministry, and there he says ministerium, not monos as before. Then he say, I renounce to the ministry, the ministerium. He used two different words. He say there is a monos, and then I renounce the ministerium. These people wanted to say that these two things are different. So there is a monos, an authority you have. The ministerium would be the exercise of it. Use it, okay. usually. So he gave up just one of the two things, according to them. Now, this distinction in the words is nonsense. The two words are often used by the popes, even the recent popes, uh, as synonyms, actually. Uh, and there is a text uh, where, for example, John Paul II says, the exercise of the ministry of St. Peter. So if ministry was was always, has, has always the meaning of exercise, why to say the exercise of the ministry? No, hence reason. Uh, actually, the two things are similar. You should use them in some specific context, distinguishing the two senses, maybe. But that's not the case, because that's the sense of these words there is clarified by Benedict himself. What, the, what he says, right. he says, I renounce the ministry okay, of Bishop of Rome, successor of St. Peter, entrusted to me by the cardinals in 2005. I renounce the ministry of Bishop of Rome, successor of St. Peter, so just the ministry, as they say, or everything about it, so the, the authority. He says, I renounce the ministry that I was entrusted by the election. In which way? In such a way that, as from the 28th of February 2013 and at uh, 8 p.m., the See of Rome, the See of St. Peter will be vacant. So I renounce the ministry. In which way? What does it mean? In the way, in a way, in such a way that the See of Rome, the See of St. Peter will be vacant. I don't think there is a doubt about the sense of these words. Right. And a conclave to elect the new Supreme Pontiff will have to be convoked by those whose competency it is. So he, gave, he gives up the ministry of St. Peter, Bishop of Rome, and so on, in such a way that the See of Rome, the See, the see of St. Peter is vacant, will be vacant. And then a conclave has to be convoked. Now, if you uh, want just to give up the exact of the ministry, you have to name a vicar, vicar of your some kind of vicar. I don't know if the Pope could do a complete delegation of his power. This could be discussed. Probably not. Sure. But anyway, he didn't do that. He said the sea will be vacant and a new pontiff must be elected. So if he only wanted to get rid of his ministry, his, As, you know, his, his authority, right, then he would not have said the see of St. Peter would be vacant, right. but he exactly. said that it's, it's so the sense is clear, clear because he said that yes. 
in in the consistor itself, not just, even right. afterwards we will see, but in the consistor itself, it says in such a way that what does it mean to give up the ministry, renounce the ministry, that the CEO from is vacant, and you have to have a conclave. And then afterwards, just afterwards, he says, dear brothers, I thank you, and so on, and he asks for prayers, and he says, uh, prayer to the Blessed Virgin, so that she may assist the Cardinal Fathers with her maternal solicitude, solicitude in electing a new Supreme Pontiff. He asks for prayer, the new election, which is, it seems quite clear. But even if it wasn't, we have other things where other uh, statements before he went away. You, know? you see that he, he announced his abdication, and he said that the CEO from will be vacant on the 28th of February at 8 p.m. You can say this is a bit weird. Why not immediately? Because he wasn't under a pressure. Yes, he had the time. He chose this way so that things could be could go smoothly in some way. Uh, maybe that's what the, that's probably the reason, so that mm -hmm. they have the time. Now, on the 27th of February, there was the last general audience, you know, with all the people in St. Peter's Square, was the Wednesday. He said, uh, Benedict said, uh, I do not return to private life, to life of travel, meetings, receptions, conferences, and so on. You know, that here there was somebody who wanted to use also that because they say, you see, uh, he, he wants to stay there. So he's still something, uh, he's giving up the active ministry, but he's spiritually the Pope, something like that. Afterwards, also uh, Bishop Genschwein, the secretary, said something about that, which was a cause of a lot of confusion. But there is a principle that we will use again, very important. Whoever is not clear in legal questions must be read in the light of what is clear, not the, not the opposite. These people right. all often, what, what they do when they say, oh, but he has white cassock, he has keys on his arms, or other things like that, uh, a lot of these things, there are a lot of these things. There is a reason, but uh, all these things are not clear, I agree. But you have to read them in the light of what is clear and not the opposite. What they do is to read what is clear in the light or the darkness or to what is not clear. So they take ambiguous things, there are many in this application, to clarify according to them what is absolutely clear. And this is the opposite of the law, the opposite of the legal mind, if you like. Now, he said, uh, I am not abandoning the cross. I no longer bear the power of office for the governance of the church. Say, I no longer bear the power of office for the government. If there is a word that in Latin I would use to translate this is munus. The mm -hmm. munus talked about, they say, oh, he didn't, gave, he didn't give up the munus, but just the ministerium. In these words, it says, I no longer bear the power of office for the governance of the church. Power of office is exactly the mono. So he, he, he said everything. He was very clear in yes. some way. Then he did a lot of weird things too. But what it has to be said clearly was said clearly 
then, not after. I would. I don't want to talk about afterwards because right. abdication ends when you abdicate. Then it's just. Well, and, and, and Father, I mean, if, if I could jump in and say, you know, yeah. he may have done a lot of weird things, but it's also a very weird situation. I mean, <laughs> broadly speaking, there's this is not common. So yeah, not there are all, going yeah. to be weird things. No, he, he did many things to make things a bit uh, weird <laughs> because these this things of keeping the white cassock and some titles uh, and so on. This is I see. Not right, but it is um, you can understand it uh, having uh, listened to the, the episode of collegiality. Pope Benedict or Bishop Rassier, uh, was one of the main uh, tenants of the legality all his life. So uh-huh. this idea of papacy, which is not right at all, he kept it in mind when he abdicated too. I would say there is also something else. He did the first phase, the first time of um, the rupture. When he, the, the council had the rupture with tradition, he was there. And he did that. Then he stayed there as a cardinal and as a pope to put together all the new new mass, but also old mass, one church, but also many churches. That was also collegiality. But then when you put together things after the rupture, you have to start a new rupture. Uh, that's how modernists work. Uh, dialectic. Rupture. Synthesis and then rupture again. So to to break again things, he abdicated. This kind of abdication, as he did it, it was like the beginning of the new. He said that once uh, in an interview. He said they asked him uh, after his abdication, but are you the end of the old or the beginning of the new? I said both, both, both things. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, this is uh, just to understand the situation, uh, uh, right? Uh, circumstances, like, but not the act itself. The act, the the, the abdication in itself is a, very clear. Uh, and then he said in this ve- same speech at the audience, uh, "I ask you to the people to remember me in prayer before God, and above all, to pray for the cardinals." who are called to so weighty a task, and for the new successor of the Apostle Peter, may the Lord accompany him with the light and strength of the Spirit, which is obviously meaning that he's going to go away as a Pope and have a new Pope. I, I, this, this was repeated by himself in different languages, this uh, request for prayers, in English and French and so on, as they do usually. Uh, there are yes. greetings in many languages, and in that case, the greetings were all about uh, praying for the new successor of St. Peter and the conclave and the cardinals, which is logical. Right. The day after was the day when he left. You know, you remember the helicopter and all the things. Uh, he went to Castel Gandolfo, so to be away when there was the, the conclave would be convocated. So he, there was all these... Uh, how would you say, theater uh, of the mm-hmm. helicopter and so on. But before going away, the car, he, he was in front of the cardinals in the Clementine Hall, and he had the speech to them 
thanking them and normal things. And this said, before I said I say goodbye to each one of you personally, I would like to tell you that I shall continue to be close to you with my prayers and so on, especially in these coming days, that you may be completely docile to the action of the Holy Spirit in the election of the new Pope. It's a normal thing to say when you are going not to be Pope any longer, there will be a conquer. I pray for you so that you elect a good Pope. May the Lord show you the one whom he wants. And among you, says, in the College of Cardinals, they were there in front of him, there is also the future Pope, to whom today I promise my unconditional reverence and obedience. I, I wonder how somebody could question his abdication after that. And there is more, huh? there is more. Uh, it's clear that he is already giving his obedience to the new Pope. Yeah, by anticipation, which is a good thing to do. Sure. Uh, then he left the helicopter, he went to Castel Gandolfo, and uh, just before the time, at 8 p.m., he would cease to be Pope. Uh, people were gathering outside of the palace. So he went out. All these things are recorded. They are on the website of the Vatican, uh, written in many languages. So everything it was spoken before thousands of people recorded. And he said, you know that this day is different for me from the preceding ones. I am no longer the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church, or I will be until 8 p.m. this evening, and then no longer. I am simply a pilgrim, <laughs> beginning the last leg of his pilgrimage on, it, on this earth. He could have abdicated just saying that. This would be legally valid. Sure. This would be a legal abdication. Sure. You go out of the window in front of thousands of people and you say, at 8 p.m. I am no longer the Supreme Pontiff of the Catholic Church. Close the window and that's what that was. <laughs> Perfect. It's a, a, an abdication made with everything you need. So if they do not believe at the consistory and everything else, they could believe at least the last things he said uh, before 8 p.m. Uh, that's right. what he said, last thing he said. That's why all other questions uh, are just irrelevant for the sake of uh, the abdication as a legal act. For the sake of understanding the mind of Pope Benedict and his conception of papacy, they are very useful, very useful. All this question of why Castle can, you know, that at the moment, they also, and then the things that were said by Archbishop Genschwein about the spiritual papacy, these things happened afterwards. Yeah, they have no influence on the application, right. but they say something about his mind, which is not good. Right. Uh, anyway, they do, do not change the, the legal act. Of the application. Um, that, that would be another question. The conception of papacy according to Ratzinger. Huh? That's very important. But that's another question. That's not the application. Right. So, very interesting. Yeah, it seems, very interesting. It's just that you, you do not have to listen to all these objections, but just to listen to him. 
what he said. Right. right. He made it clear. Even for and them. So, yes. I was just going to say, Father, and so therefore taking taking then the next step, um, I have seen people arguing, well, then the next conclave was not valid because there was a, a Pope still living, but there was no Pope still living. Exactly. Ratzinger is living, but the Pope is not living. Um, therefore <laughs> the conclave proceeds like any other conclave, right? Yes. That, that it is explicitly stated, stated by the constitution, uh, about the vacancy of the apostolic see. That when the Pope abdicates, you do everything as when he dies. But this is normal. And Ratzinger says that uh, when he asks to convoke the conclave and by those uh, who are in charge. Uh, yeah, but these people saying that, uh, they are the same people who then explain to you why the conclave was invalid because of other reasons. But if the Pope was still living as they, they believe, so you don't need to explain that the conclave was invalid for some reasons, because the conclave was invalid because of the, the Pope being alive and in charge. Right. But for some reason, right. maybe they are not persuaded themselves, I don't know. Uh, they want you to believe that Ratzinger is still the Pope and that the conclave was uh, not good, not legal, for many reasons, according to them. Uh, two things together. But you don't need to show me that the conclave was illegal if the Pope was in charge. You don't need to, to say anything else. But the Pope was still in charge. Benedict is still the Pope, so conclave is invalid. That's all. But that they, right. they are not. If um, that were true, then that's an easy argument. <laughs> yeah, that's the only argument. But right. that's not enough for them. They want to show you more, to, to demonstrate more. Uh, right. So, you know, there, are, there have been many. In any case, if we have seen that the abdication is valid, if the conclave is not for the reasons they say, uh, other reasons than the validity of the abdication, in that case, obviously, we, we wouldn't have a pope. It doesn't mean that Ratzinger becomes the pope again. <laughs> if the right. abdication is good, it's true, it's valid. The conclave is not. That means that we do not have hope. It doesn't mean that Ratzinger becomes the Pope again. Huh? That's very important. Sure. But obviously, the arguments about the invalidity of the election are quite uh, also inconsistent. Huh? The main one, uh, they say, is that about Cardinal Daniels, uh, you know, the Cardinal from Holland, who make some statements in an interview to the television and also to in a book he wrote. And he spoke about this uh, mafia of St. Gallen. They say the, that uh, many times they gathered with some progressive prelates and cardinals in the Abbey of St. Gallen in Switzerland to talk about uh, the future conflict in some way. This was also before Benedict. They wanted Bergoglio or some, some progressive after John Paul II. Okay. If this was true, and this was a reason to invalidate the conclave, so even Benedict wasn't the Pope. But because what he, he speaks about goes from the time of John Paul II, not only from the time of Benedict. So they were doing meetings even at the time of John Paul II. 
So the election of Pope Benedict would be possibly in the same condition and the, as the election of Pope Francis, except that they didn't, uh, but they, they couldn't reach their purpose, obviously, in 2005. Anyway, right. what they say is, now, this cardinal says that they had meetings talking about uh, uh, who should be elected the Pope. Now, the constitution of John Paul II, this is traditional, quite traditional, uh, about election of the Pope says that you do not have, you must not have uh, meetings and uh, conventions about the election of the new Pope. This is forbidden. You have not to talk okay. about between, between cardinals, obviously, about the election of the new Pope and who should be elected before the death abdication of the of the president Pope. You have not to. And they also say there is an excommunication about that, so they are excommunicated. And the conclave, if you do that, is invalid. Now there are three levels of answering to that. First one is the level of facts. Statements by Cardinal Danis are certainly not good things, but we do not know exactly what happened. You should investigate it, understand exactly if this is the case which is forbidden, for example, or not, because then he, he, he said names of people, and what about them? They, sh they should be able to defend themselves. If it is a, so such a grave fault, they should defend themselves. You should ask them, is it that true? What do you say about that? Because otherwise, everybody could say, I sold the papacy, uh, my vote, and uh, I vote. Uh, you can make accusations. Or, and so immediately nobody is, uh, is Pope. If this was true and this was invalidating the conclave, everybody could say whatever. And everybody would say, oh, so the conclave sure. is invalid. But this is nonsense. These things must be seen as a, on, from the legal point of view and investigated and so you have to see if this is true in which measure if this apply to the case forbidden or not and so on it doesn't uh, it's not enough to have a statement on the mm, television the netherland television saying that uh, oh uh, uh, we were gathering and we were like a mafia and so on it's not good but you cannot say that this is certainly right what is forbidden, and so there are consequences at which ones, and so on. This is a bit too much. Uh, but then this is the facts. It are the facts as they are said by Katia Danis and uh, so on. Maybe, or maybe not. Legally is not enough. But then, then, right. firstly, there is no excommunication for that. There existed an excommunication, latte sentences or automatic, to speak, before St. Pius X. So St. Pius X made a reform of the conclave and he left an excommunication that had to be, had to be brought by the Pope or whatever afterwards, if things were uh, clarified. Before there was a uh, latte sentences communication, so it was uh, you, you were immediately excommunicated if you did that. But then it was abrogated by uh, by Saint Pius X, and afterwards by Paul VI and John Paul II, 
there, are, there is no longer a penalty if you do that. You have not to do that, but there is no penalty if you do that. You're not as communicated or you, there is nothing. Maybe if it is an investigation, then the Pope would choose to punish you if he likes. But there is no longer sure. a um, no longer provided by the Constitution. So you have, there is nothing about penalties. There is just the prohibition to do that, but not the penalty. And even if there is the prohibition, which is logical, that doesn't mean that if you do that, the conclave is invalid. So you have in the Constitution the rules to elect the Pope, how to vote, uh, how many votes you need, and all these things. At the end of that, there is written... If you do these things, if you don't do these things properly, the the election is uh, uh, invalid. Then you have another chapter <laughs> with some other canons saying things that you must avoid in the election. You have firstly simony. You say simony, yes. Uh, so you have not yes. to sold your vote for money or other uh, advantages. And even in that case, since the time of uh, Pius X, uh, the, the election is not invalid, even if it's uh, there is money in some way or uh, some kind of ceremony. The Pope didn't want to made the election to make the election invalid to avoid obviously problems, accusations, and so on. And then you have this uh, prohibition of uh, conventions and uh, agreements before the conclave when the Pope is still alive or in charge. Then you have that, but that doesn't invalidate the conclave. If you do that, it's not good. It's a sin, it's a fault, even a canonical fault, but there are no penalties, and this doesn't invalidate the election. Uh, so, firstly, we, don't, we do not know what... Uh, Cardinal Danese and others did, except from some uh, statements by one cardinal. And then nobody was uh, worried about that. The problem is also that if this was true or had to be investigated, the other cardinals should have said, stop, what is he saying? We should make an investigation about that because this could be a problem. Right. But nobody was worried. So legally speaking, canonically speaking, all of these things are um, without any consistency, without any relevance. So there is not, not, not a, the, the facts are not clear. Uh, even if they were, this wouldn't uh, be a cause of excommunication. And even if it was, this wouldn't be a cause of invalidity of the conclave. So there is nothing about that to be said. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. So even if, let's say you and I are both cardinals, God have mercy on us. If so, uh, let's say both you and I are cardinals and, and we are discussing and saying, Hey, let's, let's elect this guy. Let's elect this guy. Um, that it's, it's obviously wrong, but that does not invalidate no. the election, no, no. even if we get our way. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And we are not as communicated. All right. <laughs> Yes. Good. Yes. So we are the <laughs> same. Yeah. But yeah, when the Pope dies yeah. or abdicates, we can talk about that. 
it's written that we can talk about that afterwards. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, that's fascinating. We've gone through, we've gone through, you know, is it possible for the Holy Father to resign? How did it happen in the case of Pope Benedict? And, you know, was the election then of Pope Francis um, valid? And to all cases, yes, it's possible. And yes. Um, so I, I, I have heard, um, and this is, again, something I read online, of course, um, someone said, well, if Pope Francis dies first before Pope Benedict, mm -hmm. what happens then? And the answer is another conclave, right? Sure. Yes. Yes. When you give up papacy, you cannot be Pope again, unless he's elected Pope Benedict or Ratzinger will be elected by the conclave. Right. So he could be Pope another time. He accepts. Uh, but otherwise, it's, okay. it's just a bishop. That's that's what he should be. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. So that's that's what I figured. I just funnier. wanted to make sure I asked because you never know things things could happen. <laughs> <laughs> but if they elect him and they accept his pope again, yes. But I don't think that's very hmm. likely. No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Well, Father, thank you so much for your for your time and for going through all of this with us. Um, it was it was a fascinating discussion, um, and like you said a couple times, it, it's a very weird situation, but it's it's what we are living in. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's something very very rare within the life of the church and application, but we have to take it as it is. Then, obviously, there are theological problems. The conception of papacy which are more important than the abdication itself. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, Father, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we appreciate you. it very much. God bless you. God bless you. Bye. Thank you for listening to and watching episode 38 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast. Next week on the Crisis series, we'll be speaking with Father John McFarland on the question of the validity of ordinations in the Novus Ordo. Since the ceremonies have been changed, are priestly ordinations and episcopal consecrations still valid? And should there be conditional reordinations to the priesthood if a priest has been ordained in the new rite? We'll tackle those questions and more next week. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and to the SSPX News English YouTube channel so you won't miss next week's episode or any of the future ones. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20 on sspxpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this Crisis in the Church project and any future projects as well. Until next week, thank you for listening, and God bless you. <laughs>